children Z. I want to ask you a question. How many of you define success in raising the next generation? You know, if you fast forward it 5, 10, 15 years from now and, you, and someone asks you the question, and, and the question, you know, culture says raising, uh, success is raising re- well-rounded, well-educated, and happy kids. And you say, that's okay. You know, that's, that's a good answer, and I have nothing against that. Everybody wants that. But, and so what, what I want to do is I want to take you, there's a portion in Judges, I'm not going to read it all this morning, but there's a portion where what happens is if you know anything about the history of Israel, they were in Egypt, you know that part, where they were, they were slaves and they served her for 400 years and God had a guy named Moses and Moses, you know, God gave him a trick stick. You remember the stick? You know, and then, and what happens, tricks came out of that stick, but it was really God using the stick. It wasn't the stick, it was God himself. And uh, sometimes we just need to hold on to things. You ever want, you know what I'm saying? And, and we know that what happened is God delivered them out of that place called Egypt. And Egypt was a place of bondage. And it's a picture of us before we knew the Lord that we were in bondage to a lot of things. We're a slave to, to just stuff. And what happens is God led them and they had to walk through the Red Sea. And it's a symbolism of baptism. Come on, God takes you from slavery. He baptizes you and you're in the wilderness. I mean, you ever been in the wilderness? It's kind of like, you know, you kind of feel like that little buzzard. You remember a little cartoon buzzard? Which way did they go? <laughs> Which way did they go? You remember that guy? Anyway, never, I used to watch cartoons. It doesn't matter. I'm a lot older than you. And so people, people are, let me, let me drink this. I don't know what happened when I did that, but anyway. People are looking for direction. And what happens is, is that we know they went through the wilderness and then God began to take them to the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. And they, when they went across the Jordan, they walked into their promise. But there was giants in the promised land. How many of you know that no matter if you have the Lord living in your heart, that you're always going to face giants and battles in your life? And so what happens is, we, and this story is happening where Joshua, at, after Moses passed away, Joshua becomes a leader. And as, as he's the leader, what happens is God uses Joshua in a mighty way and they have judges that follow. They live, they, they saw the mighty miracles. They saw things that happened. And then a next generation came up. You can go read in John, Judges chapter 2, verse uh, verses 6 through 10. And what happens is toward the end of that scripture, and, and I think it's in verse uh, 10, it says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord, and this one it says, or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. You see, the most important thing we can do as adults and is impart spiritual life to the next generation. That's the most important thing we can do. You don't pass down the, you don't pass religion, you pass a relationship with him. My grandmother really loved the Lord. She had a, a, an incredible encounter with Jesus. And uh, she used to make me watch TV shows with her. C, C, CBN, you know, Christian Broad. When Catherine Coleman was in her, her, I don't know, some of you don't even know who that is. She had a powerful healing ministry. My grandmother used to make me sit down and watch her. And she goes, see that lady? God's using her to heal people and touch people's lives. And, and so I just, she put things, like, she put things in my life. He had a guy named David Wilkerson. Any cassette or book she ever, he ever wrote, she'd get it to me. I didn't read them. I just had a collection of stuff. I had Bibles for Easter I had a Bible for Christmas. If they would have had a Mardi Gras Bible with purple, gold, and green, I would have had one of those too, okay? And so, I mean, she just loved me. She wanted me not to experience religion. She wanted me to meet Jesus personally. Are you hearing me? 
I mean, she'd go to my room before I was saved and I had rock posters and all these things. She'd come in there. You could see where she put her hand on my stuff because she had anointing oil and she'd put stuff on, you know, like, man, it's a violation. You get in my underwear. I don't know, man. Well, this is bad when you see your grandma's print on your underwear. Anyway, just anyway. And, you know, it, it, it's like I'd go to these meetings with her. She'd drag me. I would, before I was on drugs, she'd drug me to church, okay? And I'd sit in the back and people would do things and, and, and it's like, and I remember people would walk by and they'd go, ooh, devil boy. And they'd kind of, you know, they'd pray for me kind of thing. And what happened is, you know, it's like she was just believing that God would do something in my life. Are you hearing me? And, and see, if, 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 and so what happens here it is, these children of Israel, and they see all these things. And I used to always think, you know, where, you know, as a Christian, I go, where are the miracles that I used to hear my grandmother talk about? Where are the things that are happening? Where are the things that are going on? And see, I believe this for every one of us. There's a cry in our heart. God, I want my children to experience God. I want them to have an encounter with Jesus. Are you hearing me? Not, in, not to embrace religion, but have an encounter with him. And see, what happens is, you know, they can have more than we have, but if they don't know Jesus at the end, it doesn't really matter. And so, how many of you remember these right here? Do you remember these? What's this called? A cassette tape. And so what happens is, this was before we had CDs, before we had iTunes. This is before, you know, they had MP3 players. And what happens, if your friend had a cassette that you wanted, you would get a dual cassette. You remember that? And then you, hopefully you could find a blank and you could record that while they're playing that and it records in the dual cassette. I mean, I mean you ever did that? Okay, and so what happened and what you would hit play at the same time, you know, and it would record. But, you know, if you, and so sometimes your friend had a copy of a copy. You ever had that? And, and then maybe you had a copy of a copy of a copy. And so here's the problem with copying a copy too many times. You put it in and when you would go to listen to it, there would be the, the, the duplication of the quality would be less. Come on. And not only would it be less, by the time you had numerous copies made of that thing, there was like a hiss in it. You're hearing it, but there's a in the background. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so what happens is, don't you see the same thing happening to the gospel and the Bible in our nation today? You have a lot of copies, but very few originals. You have a lot of people that are saying things, but here's my question. Do they really have a word from God? You know, we can copy what other people do, and people do that all the time. But is there original? Are there people? And so this morning, what I want to do, I just want to speak. Here's the problem with copying too many copies is, is it you, you just the, the clarity stops. There's a clarity that happens. And see, Ronald Reagan said this. If you voted for him or not, I'm not here to talk politics, but he had a great quote. He said, freedom is, is never more than one generation away from extinction. In other words, the truth is never more than one generation away from extinction. You see, the church is never, never more than one generation away from extinction. I just got back from England and, you know, as we were driving to go do, I was going to do, go do an interview at the, one of the biggest radio programs in all of Europe. And I was, I was going, we were going by this, these, these churches and they weren't churches anymore. One was a restaurant. Another one was a weight room. 
We said, man, you know, but if I think about it, and it's like you just see that and you go, wow. And, and, and even like you can go in America, don't, don't like, I know places, like in Jennings, there's a, there's a church there was there at one time and they closed the doors. And it's a beautiful little church. It could be a great chapel. I'm not going to name the denomination, but it's a denominational church. And, and, and it's like, I know of places right now that have 20 people and they can't pay the bills for the church because they're hoping something will happen some way that things could change. Are you hearing me? And the reason they get to where they are is because they never built generationally. They weren't willing to pass the baton to the next generation. Are y'all with me? And so what happens, the Bible, see, Judges says, and after that generation died, another generation grew up. Who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel? The Bible doesn't say they, do, they, don't, know the, they don't know about the Lord. It's not, that's not the problem. The problem's not awareness. Here, here, you look at all the problems in our area. It's not that people in our area don't know about Jesus. Come on. Come on. I know there's a lot of people know about Jesus. In South Louisiana, let me tell you, one of the things that we still have, we still, we still have the fear of God. Are you hearing me? Now, South Louisiana is not Bible Belt. South Louisiana was started by Jesuits. They were started by Carmelite nuns. They were started, are you hearing me? Okay? And so there was a fear of God. There was a fear of God. I mean, you can go to a bar somewhere in Eunice or wherever you go. Are there other bars around outside here? Okay, I'm, I'm testing the waters. Anyway, anyway. And so I'm just playing with you. But you can talk bad about Jesus and you may get beat up. Are you hearing me? I mean, it's just, there, there's, there's that. We have that. And so what happens is, you know, you look at the problems and you go, man, it's not about if we don't know about God. It's whether or not people have an encounter with God. You see, we didn't plant campuses or churches in Eunice and Crowley and Jennings. So we could just have new expansions and have another building. We want people to experience the real living God. Amen? That you can experience him. And see, it's not that this generation didn't know about him. It's that they just don't know him. And so what happens is, what do we do about the problem? How do we store righteousness? That's what I love about coming to Eunice. Y'all ask great questions when I come. So God doesn't call his church to condemn the world but to change the world. Are you hearing me? You see, here's, here's what you need to remember. Listen to me. Truth without grace is just mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. But if you put grace and truth together, it's like good medicine. Come on. It might not taste good going down. You might not like it. How I many you know when you're convicted by God, it doesn't feel good sometimes? Let me tell you, here's how you know the devil's voice and God's voice. The devil will condemn you. That means there's no way out. You're always going to be a barnacle on the bottom of a fishing boat in Dokum Harbor. That's it. Well, God goes, he's not the God of a second chance. God's a God of another chance. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? How many of you glad you had a few chances in life? Okay, that's the grace of God in our lives. And so what I want you to understand is that here's what we need to remember is that it's, it's like good medicine. When I was a kid, we used to have the thing called monkey blood. It was called mercuricone. It was a little thing on the stick. If you skinned, skinned your knee, you didn't want to confess that to your mama. Because you know why? She'd get that little monkey blood and you go, no, mama, no. We cried, we cried while we were crying about the wound. 
But the mercurial comb was fixing to get applied, the little red monkey blood. I mean, and they would put it, and it would burn. But you know what? It would kill every disease. Listen, the disease was gone before my mama even put the mercurial comb on me. I had faith. No, mama, we don't need that. I got faith. This is going to be okay. And <coughs> so what I want to do, there's three challenges I want to give all the adults here this morning. The first challenge is this. This... This next generation will not know God if we do not show God. What do you mean, Pastor Bubba? I've heard many people complain. Pastor Bubba, these kids, these young kids, they drink that, they drink that dope and they smoke that beer. I mixed it up on purpose. They just mixed up. Well, here's a question. Whose fault is it? Whose fault? If we're not showing them, it's our fault. If we're not showing them. If we're not living it, you know, we we should be practicing what we preach or what we say. You see, you know, who's going to rise up and show them if not us? You know, the greatest responsibility of people that are Christians are to represent that you're just a reflection of who you hang out with. Come on. If you hang out in the sun long enough in the natural sun, you get a tan, right? Or burnt. But whoever you hang out with, you just reflect who they hang Remember when you were a kid? Your mom would go, I know, you've been hanging out with Jay Duyon. How do you know? Because Jay says that, he does that. Is my, you know, coming? That was my best friend. And that, like, from eighth grade to like 10th grade, he's my best friend. And I blamed everything on him. Oh, Jay did it. Jay made me do it. How many no one makes you do anything? But I had my mama convinced he was a bad influence. I was actually influencing him. I was just looking for a way out. And so what happens is, you know, can I, can I let you in on a secret? People, you know, you know, people do what they see, not what you tell them. Hello. How do you, how will they know if we don't show him? That's Jesus. We are called to reflect him, to represent him, to preach him, to share him. Preaching doesn't, preaching doesn't mean getting up here in a pulpit. Preaching means this, at your job, where you show up with your family. And it's looking for conversations and ways. If you don't know how to share your faith, you can just say, God, you can pray before you go to... How I many you know we got Thanksgiving coming up? And you've got some in-laws and outlaws. You, you're like, oh, Lord, once a year, Jesus... I hope they. I hope you know. You some of you praying they they choke on a turkey, a turkey bone. I'm not praying that way, but what I'm saying is, is that there's times. This is the time of the year, Christmas and Thanksgiving, that you hang around people that you love, but sometimes you really just don't want to hang out with them. Come on, don't put your hand up. There's just a lot of confession going on. I can see that, and so what happens is we're called to reflect Him, and so here's what I here's the thing, guys. Here's a perfect opportunity to share with people your faith. If they hadn't seen you and heard about you or know what your faith is. You see, how will, how will they know about God as our provider, our kids, if they don't see that we trust him? How, how will they know if God is a forgiver and all that see us that we hold grudges against our spouse? Come on. How many of you know that if you go to your relatives during Thanksgiving this time and your husband and you or your wife and you just don't have a grudge against each other and they go, that's a miracle. How can your kids reflect what you are and you talk about forgiveness and you can't even forgive the person you share a bed with? 
Thank you for all those amens. It's it's just the truth. You know, I, I mean, my kids see forgiveness. I mean, I've been married 33 years. Okay. How I many? That's a long time. Okay. But it hasn't been a drudgery. It's not like, yeah, me and old lady. I never called her my old lady. And she, you know what I'm saying? And she's just not my old lady. She's my wife. And, you know, I've never said divorce to her. I've never used that word in front of her. I've never said, you know, I think we just, you know, we can't get along. I have, I have been tempted on murder, but I've never said the word divorce. Okay? That's the truth. I'm, I'm confessing. I feel a confession coming on. I've thought about it. I mean, some of you don't look at me like you. Don't do that to me. You know who you are. I see your face. How will they know God, our kids, our people, if, if God is loving, if they see bitterness and negativity, and that's all they ever hear is criticism? Come on. How will they know? Why can't they receive? Because what they hear, what they see, what's reflected. You see, how will they know God is faithful if they never see a step up in faith and trust God in moments where everything seems to be going going on? I can tell you right now, people that have lost their jobs in the oil field, many, many, many people. I know a couple right now in one of our campuses, you know what? They were making crazy, just great money, lost their job. And they said, man, we got to do, they started doing odd jobs. And they all of a sudden they began to realize God was bringing provision. They said, we didn't miss one bill. We don't know how. We look back, we go, it was God. They just, it was God. We didn't miss a bill. We didn't, I mean, like every week something happened and we didn't know how we were going to do it. And then actually we were living on less than we said. We looked at our, figure our bills and go, how did that work out? Kids, and you know what? When you're like that and your kids have needs to school supplies, things, you know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes you go, Lord, geez, I thought it was public school. And, you know, and you see just God's provision. How do our kids know that God's worth giving our lives to if they only see mom and dad come to church every six or seven weeks? I've learned this. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Come on. Here's my question. If you get... Just think about it. if you get rooted, you might get some fruited. Come on. Sammy, say rooted and fruited. You can't go around from church to church and being like a pot plant and thinking you're going to build spiritual roots. Come on. I mean, and you're not going to get you're not going to grow any fruit. If you have a, tra- a plant that's being transplanted all the time, it's not a healthy plant. And I'm just telling you, you know, what? if it's not here, find somewhere. Are you hearing me? Where you can go, I can grow. See, do you know that, you know why our children and student ministry is so important? Let me tell you why. And the most important people that are part of this church, we don't even see them right now. You know why? Because they're ministering to our kids. They're allowing you and I to sit in here to be able to be ministered to. Are you hearing me? While your children, and we're not giving them like red Kool-Aid and fishies to hype them up. So when you leave here, you go, ah, you know what I mean? They're learning Jesus. Are you hearing me? And you know why it's so important, our children, our youth? Because they say that most people give their lives to Jesus before they're 18 years old. So if you're, if you're a fishing guide, if you were a hunting guide, listen, you're going to fish and you're going to invest in bait. Come on. Where you're going to get the greatest harvest. 
And so that's why. I mean, the thing I love, you know, it's a win for our churches is when the kids come out and go, hey, how'd it go? I love this place. That means mom and dad may come back. Come on. Well, I had to deal with a guy named Bubba today. I don't know about that. But anyway. That's why we're passionate about students. That's why we're passionate about kids. Yeah, I was a children's pastor before I was a pastor. You know who was our children's pastor in Jennings at one time? Wave your hand. Right there. You imagine if he was your children's pastor, you would do what he said, right? I knew him before he had hair, and I'll leave it at that. I mean, before he had, when he had hair. Now that he's follically challenged and he grows everything on the chin and stuff here. But anyway. So, but the second thing is the next generation doesn't need rules to live by. Listen to me. But a calling to live for. What am I living for? You see, Jesus never lowered the standard when he invited people to follow him. What do you mean, Pastor Bubba? Remember, Jesus would say, you want to follow me? Lose your life. You want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. You see, you typically get what you ask for with this generation when you lower the standard. See, let me just tell you something. We're not trying to raise good little boys and good little girls. We want to raise, we want to have great men and great women of God. Amen? I love, we had Pastor Obed from California last week at the Jennings campus. And there's a girl in our church, her brother's, uh, I think he has cerebral palsy. And, you know, where he can't really walk well and everything else. And just, and our, the whole church loves him. Just loves him. You know, that was, the, he's, his mom, she's a single mom. And we have one of the guys that has a hunting ministry, takes out kids that are terminally ill and all these different things and took him on a hunting trip and he was able to kill a deer. So we all just celebrate. And, and his sister is like, she's 12 years old. And at, at our youth camps that she, she went to, God just really touched her. And Pastor Obed looked at her and said, so what do you want to do when you... And she looked at him like serious. She goes, God's called me to be a missionary. And I looked at Pastor Obed and I said, and she don't play. She's, the, she's serious. I said, she ain't playing. She's the real deal. 12 years old. Leading people to Jesus at her junior high school. Come on. Bringing people to the church. She had an encounter with Jesus. In fact, God touched her before God touched her mama. And God used her to touch her mama. Come on. I love it when kids, God just touches kids, and the mama and the daddy go, I don't know, they made up their room. There must be a miracle. I opened the closet and nothing killed me today. You know what I mean? And they go, what's going on? Come on. If your kid comes home and starts telling you about what God's doing in their life, and you haven't been going to church, and you see them, you go, all right, it's either a cult or it's for real. Come on. Am I in the right place? See, let, let's, let me just do this. Let's not settle for telling our kids, let's not have sex. Come on. But instead, encourage them to honor God with their heart and with their body. Come on. See, when I got, before I got saved, I didn't have a lot of morals. Okay? I was lost. I was messed up. Okay, I didn't know about relationships. I just wanted kisses and hugs and a few other things. I'm not, I'm not here to lie to you. But when I gave my life to Jesus, something changed on the inside of me. And I made a commitment to God, not to anybody else, but to God and my future wife. This is what I committed. God, 
I want to honor you with my body and anything else. And I will never tell a girl I love her to the next words will be, will you marry me? I want to honor you. And every single woman that ever heard something like that is going, that's my man. Come on. And I remember dating my wife. We, we honored God. Because my wife told, made a commitment when she was in seventh grade. She said, God, if a guy ever puts his hand on me in the wrong place or does something wrong, that's not my husband. I didn't know the pressure I was under. I didn't. She never told me that. But we, we honored God. And now we, that we've honored God, listen, I have my children that have followed that example. Are you hearing me? I, I mean, I'm not standing up here going, you know, I'm, you know, listen, I'm here to tell you it was God. Because when you're single and you've got hormones running through you, you're going, it's got to be God. And you know what? Six kids later and eight grandkids later, we still love each other. This morning we prayed for each other. Before I left, she prayed I, that God would bless what I had to say, what I had to share. And I prayed for her. She's teaching, she's taking people through Next Step at the Jennings campus. And, and God's using her in incredible ways. She's like a phenomenal lady. I don't just have, have a what? Excuse me. I don't just have a wife that I'm blessed with. I have a, I have a friend. I have a friend that I've been in relationship for 33 years and I enjoy her. Come on. And you know, all women go through insecurities. Come on. Women, you start having kids, body changes a little bit, things shift. Come on, wrinkles happen. You know, hey, oh, men, we, men, we change too. We just, you know. I mean, when we were young, we were right and tight. When we get old, we drag and sag. But anyway. I'm 58. Things just don't, they don't, they don't stack up like they used to. I'm just telling you the truth. But for me, as my, as my wife's husband, you know what? I'm the washer with my words. That's what the Bible tells me to do. Baby, you look good. You make a gunny sack look good. Honey, you are like fine. There are men that wish they had a woman that looked just like you. Are you hearing me? And that's what I do. I've never looked at her. I had one friend that was stupid. He bought his wife buns of steel. Lord, are you a crazy man? You just build insecurity. Because you know what? The Bible tells us we're to watch, just like Jesus washes us with his blood, we're to wash our wives by our words. We're to build them up. And see, you know what? So we may be only one generation away from losing the truth, but we're also one generation away of changing the world. Amen? And let me tell you what the hope for the world is. It's the church. I have a guy that he's so critical of churches. Uh, you know, there, no one's preaching conviction anymore. No one's doing this. And I'm like, well, first of all, you've fallen out of love with the bride. The bride is Jesus. He's coming. We're the, the bride is the church. You fall out of love with what God's doing. in the, the church is the hope of the world. Are you hearing me? Jesus is coming back for a bride. And when you fall out of love with the bride, you get messed up. Are you hearing me? And so what happens, you'll do things and make decisions when you get your mind off of what God is really doing. And see, I just want to say this. And so we're, we're, see, Psalm says it like David said this. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me. Oh, Lord, let me proclaim your power to this new generation. You know what my prayer is? I don't care how old I get. I always want to be able to relate. 
to kids. I always want to be able to relate to the next generation. I did a youth group a couple weeks ago. And man, I, I, mean, I walked away. I go, man, I still got it. Man, them kids liked it. I had them laughing, but they were, came up to me. And I was like, I was like, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'm, I'm 58. I'm like, come on, not bad. I can still relate. Ain't that great? Anyway, just listening. You and I have a responsibility to fulfill. We will be a church who builds the next generation. Amen. And here's the final thought that I have for you this morning. This. Next generation needs ordinary people willing to do extraordinary things or just the ordinary. We call it extraordinary, just ordinary. There was a, a time in Moses and Aaron and Moses and God was bringing judgment for a guy. His name was uh, Korah. He had actually brought rebellion against the children of Israel and God had actually swallowed, opened up the ground and swallowed them and burped them up. Okay, there's 14,700 people. That was killed in that moment. You imagine that would be like taking Eunice and Mamu and wiping them out. Okay? And it was judgment. And, and, and Moses looked at Aaron and he said, and there was the, there was the fire of the altar. There's the altar of the Lord there. And he said, Aaron, run and get the fire off the altar. And maybe God may have mercy. Now the problem is, Aaron was 100 years old. When's the last time you see a 100 year old run? But he does. And when he gives the fire off the altar, the fire, fire in the Bible represents this. God's presence, God's purifying presence. Fire represents that if you put anything in fire that's precious, okay? The Bible says there's wood, hay, and stubble. You burn it, there's nothing left. But that's how people, that's when you walk in the flesh and you try to do things on your own, that's how you walk. But there also says there's gold, silver, and fine jewels. And if you put that in the fire, it brings out the brilliance. It gets rid of all the impurities. And what every church needs is the presence of God. Amen? That we pray, God, the Holy Spirit, there's different, there's different symbols or emblems of the Holy Spirit. Fire, oil. The dove, I can go down the wind, I could go down the list. There's many things that represent who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. But fire represents a purification in our hearts. And what happens is I've been to Africa, South Africa, where they, and they have some of the big deposits of, of gold, platinum, silver, and diamonds in the world. And in order to make those things pure, what they do is they put it under fire and they heat it up. And all the dross, all the impurities. How many of you know that sometimes the fire of life just brings out the junk in us? Come on. Come on. How many know we got the inner jerk in us? All of us. And sometimes things get a little fiery and the inner jerk wants to come out. That's it. I'm tired. You know, you get peace symbols down the highway when someone cuts you off. And they're your friend. You go, oh, Lord. And what happens is, is what they do is, if, if you're a refiner, you take that dross and you begin to skim it and take it off. And God is the, the refiner of heaven. And you know what, what he's doing? I've had people go, hey man, is it, is it ready yet? Is it purified? No, it's not. Well, how do you know? Because when the refiner looks into it and he sees a reflection of himself, then he knows that it's ready. And for every one of us, we are reflection for the next generation. What we have, whatever we allow God. Are you hearing me? 
And see, I just want you to know this. Ordinary people just doing, willing to do the ordinary. See, you may say, well, but I'm just one person. Can one person make a difference? Look at me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, I've seen many people, I've seen many people in these last few years in our area, in the Acadiana region, I've seen people die of suicide. I've seen people die of drug overdose. I've seen, I've seen in, in Jennings, we have a serial killer. They still haven't solved it. We have one of the girls that her sister was in there, and we have one of the girls that used to go to the youth group with that was actually murdered. So it's, it's very, very real to us there. Are you hearing me? I've been to where there's been suicides and, 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 and people just like, we've ministered to people. One guy put a gun in his, a shotgun in his mouth and shot himself and, and the priest wouldn't do it because they just, the, 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 the priest wouldn't do it. And it was one of the relatives of someone in our church. And so Pastor Joshua, and we, we just ministered to the family. And guess what? Most of the family serving Jesus today just because we went there in their pain and their hopelessness. Are you hearing me? And just decided, hey, let's just love these people. We're not going to be critical of what he did or what they say or what they're not going to do, what they are going to. Why don't we just be, why don't we just listen to them and have compassion and see what Jesus does? And we've just seen, we've seen things like that happen here. Where people just took the time and said, you know, can I have some compassion for you? Can I just listen to you? And some of you are here because of that. Not because someone judged you. I've learned this. I'm not here to argue with you. But can I tell you something? But if you meet Jesus, if you see who Jesus really is, there's no argument. He'll just reshow you who he is. You see... I believe leadership drips from the top to the bottom. If I'm following his lead, hopefully some of whatever's on him is going to drip on me and it's going to fall down and touch other people. Amen? And see, you know, and, and, and God's calling you. Look at me. God's calling every one of us to step up to make a difference. What do you mean, Pastor Bubba? I like what Romans says. He, says. he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, you present yourself a living sacrifice, which is acceptable unto God. And the Bible says, in verse 2 of Romans 12, it says, and it says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many say, you know, Pastor Bubba, there's some thoughts that I've had that ain't that good. You know, there are times when I'm, I'm going to make a confession. There are times when I read my Bible every day. Every day I read my Bible. I read at least five chapters a day. And that is not a joke. And I'm not here to pat myself on the back. Why? Because I, I know this is a love letter. And before I knew Jesus, I didn't understand it. But now that I know him and we're intimate, I understand what he's trying to say. And there's still some mysteries there that I learned. I can read the same chapter and learn new things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I just want, I want whatever's in here to get right here. And if I'm in this, maybe I'll get a reflection of the light. Come on. And, and somehow it'll just like, it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll just happen. So what happens is people, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you, if you, I believe this, if this is your guide and this is the light of your life, He's going to guide you and lead you in good places. And that's why, look, look at me, that's why it's important. Even at this church, you, you're going through next step. You go through freedom. You go, you know, or steps. And many of the things that we try to offer you just to help you because we want you to get, we want you to begin to make the right steps toward Jesus 
And it's not, it's not our theology. It's, not, it's just like we want to get you pointed in the right direction. Come on. How many of you have been given bad directions? Come on. Look, I've been in Africa, and if they give me a guide, I listen to everything he says. Because if I may end up in a place on a safari somewhere, and there could be a lion there, and I don't know what's going on. And there could be a lion checking me out that I don't see. And he's thinking, hmm, hmm, nice little white ball, I'm going to eat him. Sweet meat from America. I don't know. But I've learned this, is that a cat can't chase two mice at the same time. Come on. It just don't happen. You got to make a decision. And for some of you, some of you are chasing a lot of things where God's just saying, hey, why don't you just chase one thing? Why don't you just obey one thing I'm asking you to do? Come on. I have people, oh, Pastor, I'm doing this, this, and this. Why can't you do something well? Why don't you do, put all your energy in doing one thing well? Does that make sense? See, your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. Because let me tell you something, emotions are bad leaders. Come on. How many of you let your emotions get to you and lead you down places you didn't need them to meet? Or you got mad at your husband or disappointed at your children because you were living by your emotions? Okay. Anyway, I'm praying for you. Sometimes people rise up that really believe they can make a difference. Can one person make a difference? Yes. I have a friend. His name's Bill Wilson. He has the largest children's church in the world. He picks up about 50,000 kids in Brooklyn, New York every week. And they have Sidewalk Sunday and where they bring all these kids to certain locations. He has, some, he has one place in Kenya. There's 90,000 kids. The day, the day that I talked to him that they had picked up that day. They're in the Philippines. In the Philippines, in Manila, all these little kids, they, they literally live in the graveyard. Okay? That's where the kids live. And there's like 120,000 kids in this area. And you can, only li- you can only have a grave in this graveyard for five years. And once your five years are up, they dig you up and they put someone else there. Okay? And so I'm talking about some of the worst plighted places. And there was a lady from the Philippines. She said she felt the heart that God was calling her. Think about it. She's coming out of that area ministering to go to Brooklyn to minister to the kids in Brooklyn. Well, what happened, she came and through an interpreter, she had arrived in New York and she was talking to, trying to talk to Bill Wilson. And he said, he said, you can't come here. She goes, no, God sent me. She goes, no, you can't come. You can't come here until you learn English. How can you help us with the kids if you don't know English? So she decided this. She goes, I'll learn English. So this is what she learned. Jesus loves me and he loves you. So every day when she would go on the bus, they go on buses, they pick up these kids. The kids know where to meet because it's been going on for years, like 50 years. And, and she just started finding kids and she started telling them in her broken Philippine accent. She goes, Jesus loves you. I love you. Then after a few, about, about a month, she found this one little boy. He's a little Puerto Rican boy. And he was like six, seven years old. And every day when they pick him up and he'd come sit on her lap. And she'd whisper in his ear. Jesus love you. I love you too. He, she would whisper that in his ear on the way, picking him up to bring him to Sidewalk Sunday. When they'd bring him back, she'd say the same thing. And, you know, if you don't know, I've lived in New York, but people there are just different than South Louisiana. Okay, they just are. 
And what happened is the bus driver got a little bit bothered by this Filipino lady having a little Puerto Rican boy whispering in his ear. So he goes to Bill Wilson. He goes, I'm, I don't want, I want the Filipino lady. She needs to get off my bus. He goes, well, what, what's wrong? She bothers me. What do you mean she bothers you? She doing anything to kids she shouldn't be? Well, she got this one little boy. She, she, he gets on her lap every day, picking up, bringing that back. And he says, it's kind of bothering me. And he goes, well, is she touching him like she shouldn't touch him? No. Is she doing something like we don't allow? And he goes, no. Well, she's on the bus. All right. So just like I said, so for months, six months go by. That same little boy. I love you too. And after a little while, one day he's about to get off the bus. The little boy gets off her lap. And he looks at her. And he puts his hands on her cheek. And they never heard the little boy. They never heard him talk ever once. They didn't think he could even talk. And they go. He puts. She, he goes. And he got off the bus. But at 6.30 that night, his mother in in a drug rage killed him. Put him in a glad trash bag. Dropped him down the trash chute into a dumpster. Don't tell me one person can't make a difference. Because that night when that lady took that little boy's life... He matched the face of Jesus through that lady telling her that Jesus loved him every day. Don't tell me you can't make a difference. Because you know what? We never know. You just never know. I, mean, I used to go to the Fisher Projects in New Orleans and minister kids. And I had a, a lady that she was, she was with me on one of my teams. Her name was Kay. And the, the kid wanted, the little, the little girl didn't want, didn't want to leave because we were just loving them. And she, she, didn't want, she peed on, my, on Kay's dress. And she go, what happened? And the little girl said, I didn't want anybody else to take your place that they loved me. Now look at me. I promise you there are people in Eunice that have never heard that Jesus loves them. Don't you look at me like I'm crazy. We used to live, my wife and I, for eight years, we lived in inner cities all across America. My wife made cookies for these little kids, these little girls that never learned how to take a, never learned how to wash their hair or anything like that. We had a little boy, his name was Jamani. And Jamani was half white and half black. And he lived and his daddy was raising him. My wife looked at him one day and he goes, hey, Jamani, do you know Jesus? And this is the gospel truth. Does he live close to here? We were the only ones that reflected Jesus. Are you hearing me? And see, let me tell you something. You don't know in your job. You don't know what your school. You don't know where you show up, what you're reflecting. Because there are people watching you. It's time. Let me tell you. You know, death stopped in that story I told you where they made a stand. And wherever you make a stand, that's where death stops. 
You know, we're, we have eternity in the balance. You know, there are people that will leave this earth and go to eternity without God today. And that should bother us. Are you hearing me? We just go sit, we get so enamored by ourselves. Here, let me do a test for you and I'm going to be done. I'm done after. Put your thumb out. Look at your thumb. That represents you. When you get your eyes focused on you, everything else becomes blurry around you. Amen? But if you get your eyes off your thumb and get it focused on everything around you, yeah, you may have needs, but all of a sudden your focus begins to change. Hello? And you'll never forget this. And so my, my challenge to our Savior's church, Eunice, is this. We need to get our focus off of ourselves and get our focus on people that are at your job, that at your workplace, that your family during Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you're going, oh, Lord, Pastor, not them. They need 